Well, good morning. It is good to be here. I, um, some of you know, I don't know if everybody knows, but I uh, have partnered with Pastor Will over at Hope Church for the season of Lent, and we're going to, uh, I don't know what the right word, partnering doesn't seem the right word. Uh, he said that we're sharing the pulpit, which is, is true, but it's not like the extent of it. Um, but we're partnering with, with Hope uh, Church to enter into the season of Lent. So uh, every other week you will have uh, me or Will uh, preaching for the next few weeks. Um, and it's good for a couple reasons. Number one, who wants to listen to me every week, right? Like it's been a while since anybody else has preached. So I'm, you know, I get tiring at times. I get tired of listening to myself talk. So um, Will has a uh, tremendous perspective and a heart for God, and I'm, I'm excited for him to come next week and share with us. Um, we have entered the season of Lent. Historically, this season of Lent, like if you go way back in church history, there was two main functions of the season of Lent in the life of the church. Uh, the first was, and these aren't in any particular order, but uh, reconciling relationships with those who had been cut off from the fellowship of the body. So every year during the season of Lent, relationships that had been broken, people that had maybe sinned or gone against the fellowship of the body and had been, you know, uh, asked to step aside or have chosen to step out or wouldn't fall into, into the, the authority of the elders or the teachers and the, the leaders of the church, the pastors of the church, they would every year go and try and reconcile those relationships, which is an amazing thing. Uh, think about if the oldest uh, conflict in a church was less than a year old. Like, that would be amazing to have that type of freedom every year. Um, the second purpose of Lent in the life of the historical church was baptism. They would prepare candidates to be baptized. And this wasn't a quiz. It wasn't like, what do you know about the Bible? What do you know about Jesus? What are the doctrines? Can you recite, you know, this, that, and the other thing? Explain the Trinity, go, type of thing. It wasn't a quiz. It was an evaluation to see if their, their character had been formed to participate in the life of the fellowship. They're more concerned about character, about commitment to living in community than they were about, well, can you name seven doctrines of the church or something like that. Um, and baptism uh, was primarily a way that they uh, participated in their faith that brought in their whole self. It was a way to follow Jesus with their body. So they, they made a decision with their mind they felt God at work in their spirit. They felt transformed. Their heart and their emotions had been transformed. And with their body, they would be baptized. And uh, as a quick time out, little commercial, if you are thinking about baptism or have questions about baptism, uh, we will be opening up the opportunity to be baptized on Easter Sunday. So if you are curious, if that applies to you, come talk to me in the next few weeks. I would love to have some baptisms on Easter Sunday as we celebrate the resurrection. Okay. Uh, that ends the commercial there. But uh, baptism is what the church calls a sacrament. And these sacraments are physical things that symbolically, but more than symbolically, represent spiritual activity. Um, something has happened spiritually, and we represent it physically with these sacraments. And there's other physical acts which the church wouldn't consider sacraments. Um, but they're still physical, uh, spiritual disciplines, spiritual practices, um, and sadly, for whatever reason, there's probably a lot of reasons, um, these spiritual disciplines and sacraments have been overlooked and neglected over the years um, in our church tradition and other traditions like it. So I'm not saying like First Church has forgotten sacraments, I'm saying like maybe even Nazarene Church, Evangelical American Church, 
uh, around the world even, there's been a de-emphasized look at the, the role of the sacraments uh, in the life of a Christian and the role of spiritual disciplines. We have uh, embraced the Enlightenment. We are people of the Enlightenment. And what that, all that means is that a couple hundred years ago, um, ideas became the forefront of how we engage things. Um, truth became an idea. It became knowledge. It became uh, something that you can uh, agree with. You can affirm. Jesus is the Son of God. I, I believe that idea. I affirm that idea. My faith, I'm a Christian because I agree with that statement, right? Um, and so in our recent church history, so probably the last 500 years, we'll say is recent, um, the emphasis has been on knowing the right ideas and understanding those ideas. Um, and that has become the dialogue. So like if you were bold enough or brave enough to wander into a, a comment section of Facebook where people are talking about doctrines of the Bible or Trinity or something like that, you will see Christians, well, everybody says they're Christian in the group, arguing over proper doctrines. How do we interpret this, right? The idea is what's important. Like how do we get to the right idea? Um, and that's the goal, is to, to know the right idea and to agree with it, sometimes even fight for it. Um, but Lent is a time in the life of the church, and this is probably why I love Lent, although it, it challenges me, um, and hopefully it challenges you uh, as well, but it challenges me because I live in my head a lot, like I'm a, I'm a thinker, like that's my instinct is to think about things. Um, and Lent is a time where we bring our whole selves before God. It's not about agreeing with the ideas about who God is, Right? This isn't a, a theological, doctrinal time. Uh, it's not a time where you can study yourself into Lent type of thing. Uh, it's not even about getting our souls, our spirits ready to escape our body. Like when we die, there's, there's points in the, in the life of the church where we talk about what happens after you die and all that. But Lent isn't one of those seasons that talk about um, what happens next. Um, Lent is about following Jesus with our whole selves, our bodies included. Um, Lent, the sermon series for this year will be about things Christians have done for 2,000 years using their bodies that help them hear Jesus, to help them follow Jesus, that help them obey Jesus, and ultimately help them become more like Jesus. And so for the next several weeks in this, in this series of Lent sermons, we're going to talk about spiritual disciplines or spiritual practices. Um, and hopefully, this comes across as a helpful invitation to follow Jesus more intimately, with more of yourself, with your whole life, rather than a checklist of things that, like, you check off and say, well, I'm good at that, and I did it, so I'm good, or something. But anyways, as we get started, Luke chapter 4, verse 1 through 13, will be our scripture for today. Luke 4 1 through 13. Uh, it's a pretty common uh, story in the life of Jesus. It's pretty familiar. Um, and we will uh, explore this and then talk about it for a minute. Um, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world 
And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will commend command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Uh, Pray with me, if you will. Heavenly Father, wondrous spirits, gather our minds that they may be one with you. Open our ears that they may hear your word. Soften our hearts that they may receive your wisdom. Speak to us, for we, your servants, are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. So our scripture that we just read, the story of Jesus being led into the wilderness uh, and then tested by the devil, it's an interesting story. Uh, it's somewhat confusing. Not that the events of the story are confusing, but what does it mean to have the devil tempting Jesus, the devil quoting scripture at Jesus? Um, what does it mean that Jesus went and fasted in the wilderness? Like, there's a lot of questions we can look at, um, more so than what we can answer in a single Sunday sermon. So while there's a lot of different ways we could go uh, in approaching to understanding this text, I want to focus in on kind of one particular element which I hope becomes clear as we go along. Um, To understand today's story, you kind of have to um, understand the context in which it's happening. So it's a continuation of a previous story that we looked at a few weeks ago where Jesus went out into the wilderness. John was in the wilderness baptizing people for repentance of sins, right? And Jesus went out into that wilderness and was baptized by John and there was the, the Holy Spirit descend like a dove, the voice from heaven said, this is my son, right? Like, that's that story. And then Jesus comes up out of the water, full of the Holy Spirit, Luke says. And because he was full of the Holy Spirit, Jesus leaves the John and the crowd there. He's full of the Holy Spirit, and he is led into the wilderness for 40 days. So our scripture starts kind of immediately after Jesus is experiencing this baptism. The Holy Spirit comes upon him and drives him into the wilderness. Jesus was tempted there by the devil, responded with scripture. He answered each each test, and then verse 13 says, when the devil was done, he departed uh, until there was a better time to mess with Jesus again. Um, So as a church... We're in the season of Lent, right? It started Wednesday with Ash Wednesday. Um, Some of us may be familiar with the meaning behind Lent. I know some of you have been in various church settings where where Lent has been taught and preached and experienced. Um, But maybe some of you are like me growing up, didn't have a whole lot of exposure to it. The only exposure I had to Lent, my best friend was Catholic, And so my understanding of Lent at that time was that they wouldn't eat meat on Fridays except when they wanted to. Um, They weren't real strict about it. (laughs) Uh, And then every year for Lent, he would give up 
something fun for Lent. And so, like, I remember clearly um, him giving up one of our favorite Nintendo games, Contra. It's the best Nintendo game ever, right? Um, and he gave that up, which, which was really sad for me because he was the one that owned it. And so, apparently, when he gave it up, I gave up Contra for Lent, too. Um, but that was my understanding of Lent as a child, like... You know, my neighbors would eat fish on occasion and couldn't play the fun video games. Um, as I got, uh, I don't know. Anyways, uh, Lent was a bit confusing uh, for me growing up in the church, and so maybe some of you have not had that, that same experience. Maybe you have. But as we start our Lent series, we should probably make sure we're all on the same page and we provide kind of a foundational understanding of what Lent is. Um, so you're not like me thinking about why can't I play Contra now? Um, the word Lent just literally means spring. It's nothing fancy. There's no deep theological meaning behind it. It just means spring in Latin. Um, Lent is a season of 40 days between Ash Wednesday and Holy Saturday, the, the day before Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. It's 40 days, but you don't count the Sundays in there. There's six Sundays between, and you don't count them. Um, 40 days though, right? 40 days of Lent. Didn't we just read something about 40 days? Right? Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness. This isn't a coincidence. The people that put these things together, that thought about these things, um, knew what they were doing. So the 40 days of Lent represents the time Jesus spent in the wilderness. The time Jesus was enduring temptation from the devil and the time Jesus was preparing or his earthly ministry, because after the tempting is over, he goes out, and if you kept reading after where we stopped in Luke 4, he starts doing what we consider his earthly ministry. Things start happening, performing miracles, teaching and preaching, and calling disciples, and all of those things. Uh, so we as a church, during this season of Lent, follow Jesus into the wilderness for 40 days. Those are what the 40 days are supposed to represent. Lent is a time of repentance. It's a time of fasting. It's a time of preparation for the coming of Easter. Sundays in Lent, like I said, aren't counted in that 40 days uh, because each Sunday is supposed to be a mini Easter, right? A, a taste of Easter that's to come. And the reverent spirit of Lent is tempered, it is managed, it is, it is uh, kind of dealt with, like you, with joyful anticipation of the resurrection, right? So 40 days straight of just being in the wilderness would be pretty discouraging, um, would be pretty rough. And so on Sundays, these are many Easter's, celebration of the resurrection to come. And so that's what's happening here between now and Easter. Monday through Saturday, we are living in the wilderness with Jesus. On Sunday, we celebrate new life, and we anticipate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then after Sunday, again, Monday through Saturday, we enter the wilderness once again. And each week of that pattern of wilderness to celebration, back to wilderness. Each week we're going to explore a specific spiritual discipline that will guide us not only through the season of Lent, but help us be formed into the image of Jesus, to help us hear what King Jesus has to say to us. 
When I was in college, and I know I've shared this before, but when I was in college, I had the opportunity to go with a group from Olivet uh, to Israel for 10 days in the Holy Land. And uh, one of the places we went was the Judean wilderness. And it was kind of what you'd expect. There was nothing there. Uh, It was rocks. Rocks everywhere. It was a hard and dry and, and just desolate, barren place. Right? There was, it's not a place that I would want to go and just hang out. There's not like you can't go do sports there. or go like There just wasn't a place to do anything. Um, it would be really interesting to see, though, there's still a, a heritage, a tradition of, of shepherds in the area, the Bedouin shepherds that are kind of nomadic, and they still got their flocks and their, their sheep are, and goats are eaten. And you're like, what are they eating? And they're, they're finding grass or whatever plants to, to nibble on in this wilderness. But... To my eye, I couldn't see him. It just was this barren place. It was a place that if you had set me there and dropped me off, I would try to escape, right? Like, I'm not staying here. This is the place, the wilderness is a place you get out of. This isn't comfortable. It's not pleasurable. There's nothing great here. There's nothing appealing to it. The wilderness is a place you escape, you leave. And yet the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, is full of stories where God shows up to his people when they are in the wilderness and brings... uh, healing, redemption. He cares for them. He leads them. He speaks to them. He guides them. He provides manna for them every day. He, he appears in a burning bush. He, he appears as a pillar of fire and clouds that leads them through the wilderness. He appears in, in a tabernacle right, that they carry through this wilderness. Like It's in this wilderness that God appears to his people. And even in the New Testament, like where was John baptizing? He was in the wilderness and God spoke This is my son, not in the temple, but in the wilderness. So we have this history of God showing up in the wilderness. So it's not a place that I would want to go. And it's definitely not a place I want to hang out long. But we have this rich history of God appearing and caring for his people in the wilderness. Some of the most important events in the history of of God's people happen in the wilderness. So as much as we think about it as a place to escape or a place to avoid, it's in these moments, in these places, that God does some of the most powerful healing and redemptive work. But even knowing all that, like I can say, oh, it's in the wilderness that God works. Even knowing that, I am still tempted to want to leave those places. (laughs) Right? When I experience a season of wilderness in my life, uh, like I don't want to stay there long. Like, where's the exit sign? How do I get out of this? The temptation to escape the wilderness still exists. In today's scripture, the devil tempts Jesus to escape that wilderness. Right? I mean, you may be wondering why these specific temptations. Well, the devil tempts Jesus to escape the wilderness by replacing his hunger with miraculous food. Because in the wilderness, there's no, there's no food. Right? He's, he's fasting for 40 days. He's not eating. And so... The devil tempts Jesus by saying, well, let's provide something for you miraculously and uh, you'll be okay. Go ahead and escape the realities of this wilderness through this miraculous thing. The devil tempts Jesus also by escaping the wilderness through replacing his vulnerable position. Right? So Jesus went out in the wilderness and he was uh, exposed to the environments. He was exposed to the, to the winds and the rains and whatever, like if there was rain, the, the heat or the cool, or whatever it was, like out in the wilderness, you're exposed you're not comfortable, you're vulnerable, you're not in control. And the devil says, hey, why don't you give up being not in control? Worship me, and I will give you all the wonderful things of all the kingdoms of the world. 
we'll replace this wilderness with comfort. We'll replace this wilderness with kingdoms of the world. And then he tempts Jesus again in an effort to help him escape the wilderness by testing God, demonstrating that he's not actually as vulnerable as he might feel, right? Like, why don't you just come up on top of this, the temple mount, which would be, you know, the temple, which was a huge building, on top of the highest mountain in the area. Why don't you jump off of that and find out that God's really not going to let anything bad happen to you? Right? You're not vulnerable. You're not exposed. You're not really out in the wilderness. God's really not going to let anything bad happen to you. Right? So these are the temptations in context. He's inviting Jesus to escape, to leave behind the wilderness experience. And the, the challenge there is not, it's not that Jesus was just in the wilderness, but that he had been fasting for 40 days. He was physically hungry. His body was probably crying out for food. His body was probably crying out for rescue, for deliverance from his current situation. I mean, if I, <laughs> if I hadn't eaten in 40 days, that's what I would be doing. Where's food coming from? Where, like, crying out, somebody save me, somebody deliver me from this. And that's the point of fasting, right? Jesus went out there and fasted. That's the exact result that fasting is supposed to generate. And I'll explain that more here in a minute. Um, But hopefully you're catching on to the fact that this week's spiritual discipline, the spiritual practice we're going to talk about is fasting. Now, some people will automatically tune out when I say we're going to talk about fasting today. Um... I know in the past, I was that person that would tune out. I was not interested in it. It seemed, I don't know, too Catholic, uh, too legalistic. Like, oh, you think you're going to follow these rules and prove God's about something? Or if I do have to follow these rules or whatever. So maybe it was, it was too legalistic or maybe it was just weird. Maybe it was just like, I don't understand this. I've never done this before. I've never, this has never been a part of my faith before. So why should it start now? Like, is it really that important? So... Some people will just tune it out, and that's, that's okay. You can go through Lent all the way to Easter and not participate in fasting, and you know, when you get to heaven, God's not going to hold it against you or something like that. Well, I saw in 2022 you didn't fast, whatever. But I'm hoping today there are at least uh, a few of us here, some here, who are curious about Christian fasting. And it's for those curious people that I've written this, this sermon And that is why this sermon is titled, The Fast and the Curious. (laughs) It's it's terrible, I know. Uh, It's it's bad. Uh, But I'm not going to let Tom and Paul be the only ones that gets to make movie jokes today. So, Um, The Fast and the Curious. Uh, We first start with everything we've been taught wrong about fasting. So before we can jump into what is Christian fasting, we need to kind of address some of the the conclusions that we've drawn or maybe some of the rumors or some of the ways that we've, we've been taught over the years that maybe aren't as helpful as we hoped they would be. Um, so fasting can be this powerful practice for a Christian. It really can. It can have an important role in your life, but it's also significantly misunderstood and it's culturally challenging. Like if you do a fast, you're not going to run into other people that are just randomly fasting either. So it tends to be something that is either practiced really poorly or ignore it altogether. Like those are our options uh, a lot of times. So let's first address what Christian fasting is not. Let's kind of get that off the table to start with. Christian fasting is not a way to suffer for God. 
And I've heard that taught. I maybe even have said something along these lines before that like, uh, it shows how devout I am to God or like if I suffer for my faith, like I get extra gold stars or something. I don't, I don't know. But we've turned it into some sort of merit thing. Like I'm suffering for God. Um, and kind of along those lines, it's not a spiritual practice that demonstrates how pious or holy or devout you are. Again, it's not a contest. Um, it's not trying to say, well, I fast and you don't, so I'm closer to God than you are, or something like that. It's not, it's not that. It's not righteousness. It doesn't equate to holiness. Um, again, this isn't some sort of way to measure your level of faith or commitment to God. Um, it's also not a way of trying really hard to get God to respond to you. Well, this is probably the most common thing that I've been taught over the years about fasting is like, if you fast, your prayers are louder or something. Um, they're supercharged. God hears them more. God is more willing to listen or something. I don't know. But like, it's a way, it's a step, it's a method, a tool to get God to respond to what you want. Um, and we'll, we'll explain that here more in a minute. But that's not truly what fasting's about. Uh, Christian fasting is not the same thing as repenting of sin. Right? As Christians, we repent of sin, we, we uh, confess sin, we receive forgiveness for sin, and we turn from it. We don't fast from sin. So if there's something in your life that's like, oh, this is really sinful and destructive, I think I'm going to give it up for Lent. God's just saying, why don't you just repent of it, <laughs> receive forgiveness, and be done with it, right? So like, we don't fast of sin, we confess it, repent of it, receive forgiveness, and turn away from it. Uh, Christian fasting is also not an addiction treatment program, right? So if you feel powerless to break a dependence, if there's something that is physically controlling your life, if it's a, a legitimate addiction, fasting is not the solution to that. Um, and so I'd encourage you to reach out for help um, if that's what, uh, something you're going through. Um, but like I said before, I grew up with a few Catholic friends, and other than that, I had no idea what Lent was about. I had no idea what fasting was. It wasn't a part of my church experience. And so when fasting started showing up in my church experience, I'm, I remember talking about it, I think uh, maybe teens, youth group, when I was there, uh, high school. Um, it was usually talked about in a vague sense. We'd talk about it, we'd read scriptures about it, and again, like I said, it was usually a way of supercharging your prayers. It meant you were serious about what God want, or what you wanted God to do. And it was your efforts to get God to, to respond. Um, and I always wrestled with that because, like, well, doesn't God hear my regular prayers? Like, I, I don't understand. Like, doesn't God want to answer my prayers? Why do I have to go through extra hoops for him to hear it or something? I always wrestled with that. Um, but it was this way of getting God to respond to you. And uh, a professor and an author um, that I, I appreciate dearly, uh, his name's Scott McKnight, he wrote a book on fasting called Fasting. Um, it was extremely helpful to me. And it answered a lot of my questions. But he, he, McKnight says that getting God to respond to you through fasting is exactly backwards. Um, McKnight identifies a pattern of fasting in the Bible in which fasting is always, almost always, a response to something happening. The temple is destroyed, and so the people of God fast and mourn. The, the king is, is, is conquered. The armies fail. The, the ark is lost. The, the, whatever the situation would be, that they would respond to this grievous 
situation through fasting. The prophets would declare something and the people would fast. You know, the story of Jonah going to, to Nineveh, the people uh, heard the message and in response to the message, <laughs> they would fast. Fasting was a response to something happening. It wasn't a method to get God to respond, but it was the people's response to what was happening around them. Fasting in the Bible is connected with grieving. It's connected with lamenting. It's connected with an event or a moment that reveals the brokenness or the effects of sin in the world. It reveals a holy moment, an encounter with God. People would respond to that through fasting. What was going on was something has happened, right? And your mind knows that something happened. Well, this isn't right. Right? In your thoughts, you're thinking, this isn't what God wants. Something has happened and your heart aches for God not only to fix it, to make sure that it doesn't happen again. Right? So your mind responds to it and says, well, this isn't right. Your heart responds to it and says, oh, this is, this is awful. This isn't right. Your heart longs for God to fix whatever it is, to restore, to redeem, to heal. Something has happened and your spirit feels heavy or feels far from God. You look around you, you experience something in your life and you just feel separated. You feel far from God or the ways of God or the kingdom of God. You feel maybe like you're in a wilderness. And so something has happened. Your mind knows it's not right. Your heart knows it's not right. And your soul, your spirit knows it's not right. And they all long for the world to become as God would have it to be. There's this knowledge and belief that God's will and plan is better than the present reality. There's something in our emotions, in our intuition, in our soul that senses the brokenness, the falseness, the sin. In our mind, our heart, and our soul, our intellect, our emotions and spirits all long for God and God's kingdom. God's mercy, God's justice, and God's redemption. Mind, soul, heart are all longing for God, hungering, desiring for God's kingdom to come. Our mind, heart, and soul cry out for salvation. But I said at the beginning of the sermon that Lent is a reminder about how to follow Jesus with our whole self, with our whole body. And so, so while it is good to look for God with our mind, while it's good to long after God with our heart, while it's good for our soul and our spirit to desire intimacy with God, that's not our whole selves. And that's what fasting is meant to do. It's meant to bring the rest of us along for the, for the journey with God. When our mind is searching for God's kingdom, when our hearts are aching and desiring God's mercy, and when our souls are longing for God, fasting brings our physical body into that same place of desiring, of searching, of hungering, of of aching for deliverance and salvation. Fasting is choosing to align my body with my soul, my spirit, my heart, my mind. At one point in Christian history, Christians would fast a specific meal. Like they would say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fast this meal today. And they would take the food from their meal or the money that they would use to acquire a meal and they would go and give it to somebody who did not have food. Um, they would fast their own meal and share it with somebody else. And when that Christian would start to feel the effects of that fast kicking in, when they started to get a little bit hungry, when they started to feel the effects of that missed meal, their body joined in with their heart and their mind and their soul, 
all which longed for God's kingdom to come. A kingdom in which there was enough food for everybody. Uh, a kingdom in which there was no hunger, right? And so just in that simple example, I hope you can start to see how fasting brings the, the body of a Christian into alignment with our souls and our spirits, our hearts and our minds. Are you starting to get a sense for how fasting isn't a tool to get what God, you know, to get God to do something for you, but is rather a response as a choice to align our bodies with our minds, hearts, and souls as we seek God's mercy as a whole person. As we turn on the news and see the destructive consequences of war, our hearts break, our souls desire God's presence and mercy, our minds desire truth and wisdom, right? You watch the footage of this situation in Ukraine and, and, and your heart breaks, your soul, your spirit longs for God's kingdom to come and God's peace to be present and our minds desire truth and wisdom on how to move forward. So right now, I can guarantee you, right now on this Sunday morning, there are Christians fasting in response to what they have seen. Not in an attempt to motivate God, not to convince God that peace is better than war, not to, to tell God that children getting... Uh, you know, caught up in violence between warring countries is a bad thing. They're not convincing God of that. It's not a, a stronger plea or a louder prayer. They're fasting today because their heart hurts. Their thoughts seek out God's wisdom and God's words. Their souls, their spirits long for God's peace and God's presence. And through that fasting, their bodies have joined in and are hungering and desiring God too. It's a physical representation, a manifestation of a spiritual, emotional, intellectual reality. And if that sounds a little bit strange to you, which it, it, it did to me as I wrestled with what Christian fasting truly was, yeah, but if that sounds a bit strange to you, think about how we talk about baptism. It's an outward sign of an inward change, right? Something has happened in our soul. Something has happened in our heart. We've made a decision with our mind, We've thought ideas and thoughts and said, yes, I agree with those, those teachings. Something's happened in our soul, in our heart, in our emotions, in our intellect. And then because of that, we choose to do something with our body that brings our whole self before God. So I'll say, I know who Jesus is. My emotions will say, I find peace and rest in this relationship with Jesus. My spirit will say, I found renewal, I found life in this relationship with Jesus. And our body says, I'm in the water. My whole self stands before God, desiring God's mercy. That's what baptism is. Or think about receiving communion. It's a, a physical symbol that connects our bodies with what God is doing in our hearts and our minds and our souls. Right? It's one thing to say God provides. God sets a table for us. He cares for us. But then when you taste the bread or taste the juice, your body knows there's something physical, tangible about this. You bring your body into alignment. If, if God is offering grace, the Lord's Supper is an, a way of receiving that grace with our whole selves. It's not just an idea. It's not just a feeling. It's not just uh, something that our spirit senses, but it is something that we receive and participate in with our bodies. Now, all of this is important, and this is why I said Lent is such a critical time in the life of the church, because we have a tendency of forgetting about our bodies. We just do. 
Uh, I think we have an influence by the Greek philosophy that says physical things are bad. You know, spiritual things are good, physical things are bad. We've been heavily influenced by that philosophy. And so when we talk about salvation, we talk about saving souls. We talk about doctrines that we learn and agree with. We talk about sensing the spirit or God moving in our hearts. And if we're not careful, our faith will become about what's in our mind, what's in our heart, what's in our soul, and the body, the strength, the physical is sometimes forgotten. So fasting and, and the other spiritual disciplines that, that Will and I will bring before you over the next several weeks, they remind us, they equip us, they empower us to follow Jesus with mind, with heart, with soul, and with our body. If our heart longs for God's mercy, fasting makes our body long for God's mercy. If our mind is searching and seeking for God's wisdom and deliverance, then fasting makes our body search and seek for God's deliverance. If our soul needs God's nourishment and restoration, then fasting makes our body need God's nourishment and restoration. And so the truth that I want you guys to understand today is that fasting is not responding to sin. Um, wait, can we go to the next one? That's not the slide. You got another one? There's not another one? Okay. Um, okay, well, I'll just tell you. So pay careful attention. This is really important. There's no more slides. Um, this is what I want you to know today. Fasting is not about getting what you want. Right? It's about responding to the sin and the brokenness and the injustice, the darkness in the world. It's about responding to all of that with our whole selves and seeking God's mercy and grace with our whole self. Every part of us is hungry. Every part of us is seeking. Every part of us is desiring God's mercy and deliverance. And I don't know about you, but that was never my understanding of Christian fasting before. And so, uh, during the season of Lent, I want to talk just briefly, real quick, about a few ways to fast during the season. If you've never practiced fasting before, an easy way to begin fasting is what's called a partial fast. A partial fast can involve food and drink or certain habits, and here's some possibilities, some things that you might want to think about and pray about. Uh, a partial fast could be about fasting from foods associated with feasting. So maybe for the season of Lent, you're going to give up chocolate. Uh, you're going to give up desserts. You're going to fast from coffee and caffeine. I don't know why that's in there. We need to skip that one. Um, or something else like that. Um, maybe a partial fast would be uh, fasting from media or entertainment, certain types, uh, like uh, I'm going to avoid my cell phone, I don't know if you can, your TV, uh, movies, radio, music. One of the resources I looked at said avoid email. I don't know how you do that, but good luck. If that's something you can do, get more power to you. Um, computers, video games, etc. For the 40 days of Lent, which we're already a couple days into it, fasting one of those things. Or maybe fasting from habits and comforts, um, from shopping, not for necessities, but for, for fun. Some people do that. Um, maybe fasting from checking on yourself in the mirror, like, walking past, like not worrying about, obsessively worrying about what you look like in the mirror. Uh, maybe fasting from elevators, if the stairs are an option, right? Uh, maybe fasting from fighting for the best parking spot at the store. Just, just not worrying about it. Just go park somewhere. Uh, maybe fasting from finding the shortest checkout line. Like, I'm just going to go get in line and use that extra 
length of time standing and waiting um, as a holy moment. Um, whatever, maybe fasting from sports. Although Major League Baseball has decided to fast sports for me anyways. Um, <laughs> which makes me really frustrated. Anyways, um, not the point. Um, so here are some questions you can ask to help you discern if a partial fast uh, will be fruitful for you, helpful. Uh, questions you can ask, what cravings have a hold on me? What would be liberating to leave behind? Um, short of addiction, again, have I become dependent on a particular food, drink, substance, or activity? What would be truly challenging for me to give up during Lent? And probably most importantly, is Jesus asking me to give up something? As you pray through those questions, try picking a food or a drink, media, some comfort, a habit, whatever, and then share it with a loved one as a sense of accountability, but also encouragement and support. Um, it's helpful to have somebody that knows what you're, what you're going through. Uh, one more thing about a partial fast during Lent is, and this is probably the most important thing, Sundays don't count. Remember I said the 40 days between and Sundays don't count? Sundays do not count as feast days, or they don't count as fast days, they're feast days, which means you don't practice your fast on Sunday. So whatever it is, if you give up chocolate for, for Lent, you get to eat chocolate on Sunday. This is a celebration and anticipation of the resurrection and the coming of the kingdom of God. 40 days of fasting, six days of feasting, practicing a feast day helps makes our Lent fasts sustainable. Um, another option is a whole fast. Um, now, don't get these two confused because you're really going to suffer if you do. A whole fast is choosing set times to give up meals, food, for that time. So traditionally, Christians have given up uh, meals on Wednesday. They fasted on Wednesdays because that's the day Jesus was betrayed uh, by Judas. And they've given up Fridays because of Good Friday, the crucifixion. So those are the two traditional fast days. And they would uh, skip entire meals and snacks for a specific amount of time. So, for example, during a whole fast, you can, uh, you, you can drink water and chicken broth and those types of things, whatever. But uh, you give up your meals for that such time. And one, one recommended thing that I need to point out is if you're thinking about this and you feel God calling you to this, um, realize it's not necessarily for everyone. Uh, small children probably shouldn't be doing this. Uh, uh, some elderly folks that have health issues probably shouldn't do it. Pregnant or nursing moms. If you have health issues, like if you have any questions, don't talk to me about it. Talk to your doctor. Right? It's not a theological issue. It's a medical issue. Um, but if you do decide to try a whole fast during Lent, consider starting with a 24-hour fast once a week. Um, so for example, a Wednesday, right? Uh, I'm going to eat dinner on Tuesday nights. No snacks before bedtime. I'm going to get up Wednesday morning and not eat breakfast, and not eat lunch, and then at dinner time, I will break my fast with a meal, and um, that's how that, that fast works. That's a whole fast for 24 hours. So that's just one way to do it. Some people who have been doing fasting for a while take this season, and they do a three-day fast from Monday, Thursday, all the way to Easter Sunday morning. So they'll, they'll, that Sunday morning breakfast will be the first meal that they have in three days. Um, but I don't recommend that as your first step. Um, but remember, this is an experiment in grace. This is you trying to figure out how you can align your body with what God is doing in your soul, spirit, and mind, and your heart, right? The point is to create a connection and alignment between all the various parts that make you you. The purpose of a fast is to follow Jesus and to desire God with your whole self. And so the Bible 
continually reminds us, urges us to move away from seeing a fast as something we do to get something from God, but rather challenges us, invites us to learn to see it as a response to a holy moment or a grievous occurrence. So let us see the season of Lent as a season filled with holy moments in which we're not only responding with our minds, we're not only responding with our hearts, we're not only responding with our souls, but with our bodies. We're, resp- we're bringing our whole self before God as it desires for his mercy. So may we pray to God with our minds. May we pray to God with our hearts. May we pray to God with our souls, but also may we pray to God with our bodies. May every part of us desire God in God's kingdom. And so I previously mentioned that during Lent, we don't count the Sundays in the 40 days. If we fast, we don't fast on Sunday. We may be grieving and lamenting Monday through Saturday, but Sunday is a celebration. And so while we kick off Lent with Ash Wednesday a few days ago, and then today a sermon on fasting, um, we also begin with feasting, with a celebration at the Lord's table. So I'm going to invite you to, to uh, join me in prayer. I'm going to invite the worship team. I, I think you guys are going to play while we do communion. Um, I'm going to pray over the elements, and then uh, I'll give you instructions from there. But uh, join me in prayer, would you?